This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We talk on this show about the implications of our belief on our daily life. What we're really talking about is worldview. What are the principles through which we view the world that then help us to understand how we are to order our lives and how we're to live? And if we are not intentional about developing a worldview, then we're going to have a worldview by default that is fed by the things that we consume, whether that be the news sources that we watch, uh, the, the stories we read, or the, the movies that we watch. Those things are going to end up shaping our worldview. This is all the more true for our children. So we as people of faith need to have these conversations with our children that help them to have a a picture through which to understand the world, kind of a a key to understand all of the things that are going on around. And these can be some uncomfortable conversations uh, and and need to be grace-filled and done at a level that is age appropriate. And a lot of times we might not feel like we're prepared to have those. First of all, I want to say that the church has given us ample tools. The church speaks about this in depth in a way that calls us to our highest good. Uh, The Theology of the Body by Pope John Paul II does this beautifully by presenting the great yes, that thing that we were created for that brings us to our greatest fulfillment uh, of who we are as human persons. And so the church has the, the philosophy, the church has the belief structure that will help us get to that and not just be a rule a rule book, a list of yeses and nos and do this and don't do that, but really a beautiful story that calls us to who we were created to be. Now, there is a curriculum that's out there and a group that's working on making this information accessible at a grade appropriate level. Uh, I first became aware of Rua Woods Institute back at the 50th anniversary of Humana Vitae. Uh, there was a conference out in Ontario, Can- uh, California. It was a beautiful conference, and their, their setup was uh, in the exhibit hall, was a booth with beautifully produced materials that were conveying truth, goodness, and beauty of what it means for us to be human persons uh, in a way that tells a compelling story to our children. Uh, I'm joined today by Michael Grzynski, who's the president of Rua Woods Institute, and Rob Stamper, who is a curriculum and education specialist uh, for the same institute. Thank you both for joining me today. Great to be here with you, TL. Yeah, thanks, TL. So tell me um, about the the impetus for Rua Woods Institute. Uh, maybe even start with the name. What What is Rua Woods? Right, yeah. And, I think it'd be great to add some context here. And so... Uh, a very brief overview was that Rural Woods was founded as a local theology of the body ministry, which is doing a lot of theology of the body formation, uh, some Christopher West materials and things of that nature. So it was really serving the local Cincinnati community. Now, how the name came about itself, there was one day the, uh, the, the, the powers that be were sitting in a conference room trying to decide what that name would be. And someone simply blurted out Rural Woods. And then everyone said, that's it. And it was, it was the Eureka moment. Now, Rua, or, uh, you know, if it's in Hebrew, it sounds a little bit stronger, which I'm not going to necessarily try to do right here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I met Scott Hahn, he did it for me and it was really good, but I don't know if I had the same enunciation. So 
but it means the breath of God, right? And so the, I think the meaning developed beyond what we thought it would because we have a wooded hillside here on the corner of Rival and Wesselman in Cincinnati. And so rural woods was simply an allusion to kind of um, uh, the Edenic imagery of the garden and, and walking in friendship with God. And so um, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit that permeates all of creation. And that's how it started, right? But I think, again, the meaning has gone on providentially to go beyond simply what the initial thought of it would be. And so now it's, you know, it's, it's really come to embody what we're doing. So it was, um, for all this purpose, founded in 2009 is when things really got going. Um, there was some prior work to be done um, on that with the purchasing of the building and, and whatnot and code and all this good stuff. But then we began running Theology of the Body programs and then Psych Services, which is another crucial part of what we do, was found in 2011. So there's been an organic development to the rural woods, and it did start off just rural woods. And um, then in responding to um, Archbishop Schnur and the call for uh, the church's call for an authentic um, Christian anthropology um, curriculum, rural woods took up this call and then spent a significant amount of time developing our K through 12 curriculum. This took a number of years. It really did. And we've just kind of come out with our last, um, uh, well, our latest revision of K through five. And so then I came on board as president two years ago. And what I um, realized is that we really needed to come full circle. What made us great in the beginning was our formation. And then we went into, into curriculum, but we, we really needed to come full circle with formation and curriculum and healing. So I would say the number one thing that we realized was that the need for formation was there still. I want to go back to something that you said just in passing. A lot of times when we hear the term theology of the body, we've got this picture in our head of what that means. And a lot of times we think, well, it's the church's response to sex ed, or it's uh, a way to promote chastity, or it's all of these other things that are are really focused specifically on the sexual aspect of what theology of the body covers. However, you mentioned the term uh, a Christian anthropology. And so I want you to talk a little bit about the, the, the difference between what most people's picture who haven't read theology of the body, what their picture of it is, as opposed to what it is that you're actually doing. Absolutely. And this is something that we face on a weekly basis. I mean, constantly, right? Because we came out with theology of the body materials for grade school children. So sometimes the response is, what, you're teaching sex ed to my kid? And that's not at all what we're doing, right? So we use the term Christian anthropology because John Paul II himself did that uh, the, the, what we know is the theology of the body is the Wednesday catechesis, again, from 1979 to 1984, is holistic Christian anthropology. And by Christian anthropology, we mean the human person in relation to God. And so it's, it's studying the human person uh, through divine revelation. But John Paul II brought his own unique spin onto it by including some of his philosophical, deep philosophical formation that he received throughout his life and then taught as a professor to bear in order to explicate further these truths of the human person that would appeal to modern man who's been so lost. So, um, you know, that's just, a, it's just something that we're constantly emphasizing because like you said, the caricature of TOB is that it's sex ed or it's a chastity program, but and we don't want to go to the other extreme, though, because sex is a part of theology of the body. John Paul II wrote it largely in response to the rejection of humanae vitae and, and 
you know, paraphrasing here, John Paul II, I think, was was saying, well, I'm not surprised that the church has overwhelmingly rejected humanity vitae because they don't understand who the human person is. Yeah. And so taking that point of Jesus's own pedagogy and saying, let's go back to the beginning to recover this integral vision that Pope Paul, St. Pope Paul VI said we needed to recover. And so that's really what we're trying to emphasize on a daily basis. One of the things that is a challenge is because we have this, this lack of understanding of who we are as persons, um, we, we see as Christians the things that are going on in, in broader society that feel off to us, questions of, of gender identity, of, uh, of attraction, of all of these other things, even all the way back to uh, sexual revolution, how we respond to other people um, and how we view other people and their purpose. Uh, because we don't have a, a strong anthropology, a strong understanding of anthropology, we are tempted to react viscerally to those things that are other and to to respond with things like just the, the list of rules. Well, don't do that. That's bad. Don't do that. That's bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so I want to talk a little, what does it take for us, because Theology of the Body is such a, a philosophical work, a difficult work, what does it take for us to begin to be educated in that anthropology so that we can respond with a foundation, with a basis for the the values that we hold. Absolutely. I would say, and I'll, Rob can feel free to charm in here at any point too, but I would say um, that, yes, we have to hold divine revelation up as the standard from which we kind of draw from. But as we know, faith and reason are two wings of a dove, as John Paul II mm-hmm. says. So I, I think in order to understand theology of the body and what John Paul II was trying to do, and that anthropology, which then went on to permeate the catechism, is that let's start from our experience. It's an appeal to experience. And um, the great dichotomy that had been put up over time was that we either have to have these abstract truths and rules imposed from without, and experience cannot be trusted, or experience is all that matters, and nothing outside can have any say on that. And this is why John Paul II was largely formed in his thought by um, being in dialogue with the philosophers Immanuel Kant and Max Scheler. Now, I don't expect all of our listeners or anyone who's outside the philosophical jargon and circles to understand the history behind that, but it's important to understand that John Paul II was meeting in the middle he was saying the rules do matter. The, there's an, a fundamental structure to the universe that does matter and cannot change, and it's good. But that we also can trust experience, and our experience of this reality has, has an, a profound effect on how we appropriate the church's teaching. And I think that's the key when you're reading Theology of the Body to understand uh, what John Paul II is getting at. And really, you can get at this in the first audience of Theology of the Body. Yeah. Because John Paul II does one really key thing here is that he, he um, demarcates between Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 is this metaphysical or objective account of creation, the cosmological view. And then um, uh, Genesis 2, as he calls it, is the first phenomenological or subjective uh, view of the human person. And so these two, it's, it's just amazing. John Paul II's own formation in, in John of the Cross and Max Scheler and some of these people, uh, and of course, above all, to mystic uh, metaphysics and, 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 and the thought of Aquinas, prepared him perfectly to read Genesis 1 and 2 and understand it in such a profound way that 
I don't think had been explicated in that way up to that point. So I, I think that's the last distinction I would make, though, too, is people say, is theology of the body new? That always makes people, Catholics, nervous, right? Yeah. Or is it is it just this old, dusty thing that we're trying to dust off? The answer is um, the old Catholic both and. Yeah. It's both the same uh, perennial tradition, but as we know from St. John or Henry Newman and, and others, that we're constantly renewing how we speak about some of the same truths. And again, I think we have to be careful there because that does um, make people nervous that you're opening the door to some sort of radical change, but that's not, John Paul II couldn't have been doing anything more different. He was literally going back to the beginning. And I think that from an educational perspective, there's, we, we have the, the idea, um, especially in the modern education systems, that there's objective experience and subjective truths. And that's really been uh, the distortion of what we're saying here is that, no, there's an objective truth and subjective experiences. But what we can do, and teachers want to do this, there's a desire to do this in the education world. And when you're, when you're teaching your children in the classroom, is that you want your students' experiences to be participative in the truths that they're learning. And so through our curriculum, it's that encouragement right there is, is saying that all these subjective experiences that you're having, Christ is already calling you by pointing back to the beginning to be able to see how those experiences are tied to who God wants you to be. And so we can take that, especially um, in the activities that are involved in the curriculum and the, and the experiences that our students are invited to have while they're learning the materials, is to take those experiences that they're having, whether they're a kindergartner or a junior in high school, and tie that back to the truths that God's called us to from the beginning. Yeah, I would add one last part, and that's that in the middle of the uh, John Paul II's triptych, which is his the first half of the audiences where he talks about original man, historical man, and eschatological man, right? The, the TOB spirituality is kind of of the whole picture. And in the middle, it's uh, Christ appeals to the human heart, accused or called. Is Christ accusing us or is he calling us to something higher? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the another key point to, when we're talking about the rules and the imposition or it's not doing violence to the human person in any way. It's Christ inviting us to a higher way of living. And that points to our ultimate destiny. Well, and the the rule imposed from without uh, is, is just a rule. Uh, but the rule that comes to us from within because of these other things that has a foundation that's been built up. It may be the same external rule, but now all of a sudden it it's a different perspective. Uh, if it's something that I have to do or else because it's just bad, uh, then I'm going to have one experience of that rule. If it is, I have been created for this wonderful thing, and so therefore this is how I live that out, uh, that rule is now a, a guide and not a... Uh, uh, not a disciplinary tool, right? It's not this uh, this right. big, scary right. thing. Right. We're talking today with Michael Grzynski, president of Rua Woods Institute, and Rob Stampler, curriculum and education specialist for Rua Woods Institute. In regards to whether this is a new thing, this is the way that I picture it, and it's a, an imperfect picture, but we're all on a journey. And I let, let's just say for a moment that we're all on a journey through this, through human history, through this long corridor. Uh, it, and it's it's built up and there's walls all around us. Um, what I see theology of the body as is we have moved as a society from one point in the corridor down maybe two, three miles to another point in the corridor, and a new window has to be cut to be able to see out into the outside. And so here comes uh, Pope St. Pope John Paul II 
cutting a new window that looks different uh, than the windows that have been cut before, but that's because we're in a different place. It's still a, a view to the same old truth that we look back on to the outside, this, this landmark that's out there for us. Uh, we're we're going to have a different angle on it and a different perspective on it because we're in a different place in relation to it. But the truth that we view through this new window, through this new framework, is the same truth that's always been there. Absolutely. And that's why I think when uh, someone asked me about the power of theology of the body, I say I've never seen something that is, in my experience, that there is such a uh, profound evangelical tool uh, to evangelize through that lens because you see how excited we see it all the time with teachers across the country. I mean, people are reduced to tears during presentations. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we can get a little bit used to it. Unfortunately, when you're exposed to something all the time, you kind of, uh, you know, we have not mastered it or, um, or, or, you know, exhausted Christian anthropology, of course, right? There's a mystery there, but we are exposed to it so much that sometimes it's easy to forget the power in some of the novelty of how it's presented and just the, imp the impact that has on people to bring them closer to Christ. If you would, without betraying any, uh, any personal details, give us maybe a story or two of someone, someone's response to what they heard in the theology of the body. Yep. And Rob, uh, you can feel free to add sure, anything to you, but yeah. I would say um, uh, there's one person that comes uh, to mind. Uh, so, most of these teachers that we deal with, most of them are, are totally unexposed to a lot of this, right? And so um, uh, we had the Diocese of Lexington up here not too long ago. And one of the teachers, I gave uh, a brief overview of some of the fundamental underlying aspects of theology of the body without getting too jargony, right? In a way that was very approachable. And I think the presentation was called Receiving Life as a Gift, but it was John Paul II's thought that underlies everything. And so afterward, uh, she uh, came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she was telling me about her family. This is a very common experience, too, mm -hmm. that people immediately, for whatever reason, the body opens people up. She was telling about some of the difficulties in her family, and um, I think she later sent Rob a message about how she felt. I think the imagery was like a chick hatched from an egg into uh, kind of a new experience of life, a new freshness, and that she went back to her classroom with renewed vigor to teach and uh, just to love her grandchildren and things like that. And so which part specifically about theology of the body was it? I, you know, I didn't ask and I, I couldn't be certain. I think that all throughout theology of the body, it's the same sort of mechanism, which is actually kind of an unJP2 term, but a, uh, there's a sort of principle there which has to do with identity, meaning, and destiny. Those three things right there are what get people because we're walking around in a, in a, in a secular society, a very materialistic society um, where, the, where the spiritual realm has been uh, squashed out. And it's just when people encounter this, they feel like all the experiences they've had in their life are being spoken back to them in some way that someone's, someone's seeing them for the first time. And then this, they become more excited when they find out this is just the teaching of the church, that this is literally Jesus Christ and his church. And um, I would say that was especially the third part of the triptych, eschatological man, which is a fancy term for man of the resurrection. Uh, that in particular has a power 
where it concerns hope. As John Paul II said, man cannot live without hope. And, and uh, how often do we think about the resurrection? It's our entire point for existence and living is, is the eschaton. It's, it's heaven. It's union with, it's union with God in, in beatitude. And so that, that right there alone has the power to give someone hope where they're, all, where they're otherwise struggling in their life very, uh, in a very hard way. And it's important to note, I think, that um, longing for the resurrection does not mean pie in the sky at the end of all time, right? One mm-hmm. of the things that we see in, uh, in the biblical language of John is that that eternal life, that, uh, that eschatology that we're looking for, it actually starts now, not in its fulfillment, not in its completion, but it's not something that we have to, oh, well, when I die, I'm going to get there. We get to have those foretastes and those experiences of that, that union that we were created for right now in our interactions today. Absolutely. And this is a, I'm going to knock, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but I'm going to at least distill this for two is just like one minute here is um, to that point, what I've discerned and kind of discovered in the third part of John Paul II's work, the theology of the body is that it's profoundly impacted by Eastern Christianity and uh, in Eastern theology about how he talks about divinization and theosis and the resurrection and the, in uh, the, the kind of, what the Easterns would call the uncreated light and all of this. And I'm actually writing my dissertation on how Marian apparitions exemplify John Paul II's understanding of eschatological man and these Eastern the- theological principles. So a uh, theology body itself, I think is, is highly ecumenical. Mm-hmm. And um, this is manifested in our mother who uh, I don't think she cares about the infighting of the church as much as she sees this. We are one church. And, um, and so that's something that I would point out there too is, that in that understanding, you can experience God's um, divine life now, like you're saying. This isn't something that we have to wait for till the very end, but all the Catholic saints have affirmed. Uh, now, are we all going to have mountaintop transfiguration experiences? I don't know. You, you might, you know. Uh, Bishop Rhodes in Fort Wayne, South Bend, when I was a seminarian, he told me, if you ever have those experiences, please let me know. You know, it's just <laughs> like, all right, Bishop, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely let you know. But the point is, like you're saying, the longing that we experience, yes, it will reach its definitive fulfillment. But as John Paul II distills in the third part of the triptych, this is something that we can know a little bit about now and experience. Yeah, and I want to add to that with like the concept of being able to recognize that joy that we can participate in right now in this moment. And when we see that with teachers, uh, I, I speak with teachers and administrators in Catholic dioceses across the country on a, on a daily and weekly basis. Um, and it's being able to support them in a way to present that joy right now for their students. So there's so many teachers. I think that one of speaking about, you know, the teacher that you just spoke about, but uh, constantly having calls with teachers saying that, what do I do? Like, how do I present these, these truths to our students in the classroom? And really what they're getting at is that I'm afraid to present this because of what our current society is professing. Um, And I don't have the necessary tools to do it. And I'm just a third grade teacher. And you're asking me to, to speak to these children about one of the greatest theologians of our times. And, and how do I do that? Mm -hmm. And being able to provide them really with the tools to do so gives them a moment. And we hear this all the time from teachers as why haven't I heard this before? Yeah. And why isn't this something that's been presented to me before? Yep. So common. Yeah. And the, the, the one thing that I say, teachers, they call us 
I'm not exa- I thought people were exaggerating when I started at Real Woods about the tears. There are people who call us either because they're so they're in tears because they're so happy that they've found some sort of resource, a handhold of some sort, um, or it's like they're trying to scale a mountain and they have they have nothing to grip onto, and or they'll call us because they're at their wits' end and they're exhausted and they don't know what to do. And so the I would say the number one thing that we typically get from teachers is that the curriculum, which is simply taking adopting John Paul II's own language, it's using a language that is uh, good and usable, and it's affirmative, it's positive, it's not polemical, right? So that's the key. People don't want to get involved in some of this this negativity in fighting. They just want to present the the truth and the beauty and the goodness of creation to these children who are so formative. Do you have parent resources for people to adopt some of this maybe at home? That is the million-dollar question, TL, because that is probably the number one question we get outside of the basic curriculum is parent resources. And so this is something that we have as a ministry come together and circled the wagons. We talked to our board of directors about, and we said, listen, in the, in the Catholic worldview, the parent is the primary educator. And at Real Woods, even though we're trying to provide resources for K-12 teachers, that doesn't mean we're trying to circumvent parents in any way. And so we are just now beginning a, a strong initiative to create an introduction to theology of the body for parents. That includes uh, the letter to the families and the catechesis on the family. And these resources uh, that are able, uh, a parent, they could use our curriculum now. There's no doubt they could use the curriculum now. And that is a parent resource. Mm-hmm. But this would be a resource that's meant more for the parent in private study, I would say, to inform the spouses learning together some of this stuff. And so um, as you as you've probably heard, uh, teaching is learning, and so uh, a lot of our teachers learn theology uh, learn theology of the body by teaching it. That's the way the curriculum's set up, and so a parent can adopt our revealed curriculum in our high school curriculum. They do. We know who they are. Yeah, they they do it all the time. So that is a parent resource, but we are also trying to dedicate materials specifically for just per, the parents' enrichment. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, that to me, uh, this is speaking of the institute here. The, our target demographic, for lack of a better term here, is anyone who wants to receive theology of the body, I would say, but most uh, specifically our niche is, is classroom teachers, catechists, and parents. Mm-hmm. We want to empower these people who are responsible for the education of millions and millions of children across the United States and beyond because now we are going international as well. And so that's where the Institute, the, the, the need for the Institute came about to say, we're not just a curriculum company. Mm-hmm. that we have this formation and we have psych services. We need to find a way to tie this all together. And so now we are this institute that's teaching Christian anthropology to those who are forming others. We offer healing, formation, and uh, tools. That is the, the curriculum itself. We're talking today about the Rua Woods Institute and their curriculum. We're speaking with Michael Grzynski, their president, and Rob Stamper, the curriculum and education specialist. You can learn more about them by going to ruawoodsinstitute.org. There's much more to this conversation right after this break, so don't go anywhere unless it's over to social media to be a part of the ongoing conversation. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. And that's really what the theology of the body is. It's the, the, the implications of our belief on our daily life. We start with that principle and then move out from the principle to the application. One of the things that uh, I love about my experience with the Rural Woods curriculum um, was that it's not just in the classroom. You had, at least at one point in time, the theology, TOB campus, the theology, theology of the body campus, which impacted everything. Classroom uh, principles, like you, you walk down the hall and you open the door for someone. It's not now, now it's not just opening the door for someone or line leader. It's self-gift. Uh, oh, you did, you did a great job uh, offering of yourself by opening that door for someone else. And so then you acknowledge that and put the things that happen in the context of the school day into the framework of what it means to be human persons according to this Christian anthropology of the theology of the body. Uh, even all the way to uh, the way that our administrators would handle discipline issues, they did that through the language and the framework of the theology of the body. And so maybe speak a little bit to what happens beyond the curriculum in order to underpin our whole understanding of who we are as human persons. So at TOB campus, what you were speaking to, TL, originally was an idea of schools saying, you know, like we understand the necessity of this teaching within our schools. And so we're going to commit to becoming a TOB campus where we have this in all of our classrooms. It, it, it permeates through the language that we use um, right down to how um, students recognize uh, the gift of self between each other as well. Um, and none of that's been eradicated with the deepening of, of TOB campus. Uh, but what it is now is for school communities to really develop their Catholic identity through the lens of theology of the body. Um, and what we have launching for this coming school year is schools that can continue to be TOB campuses or come on board as a TOB campus for deeper formation of their teachers. And so the focus on doing this is going to provide those schools with an area where teachers can come to receive uh, over the last several years. I'm constantly, it's the vocation of being an educator in a classroom is that you're constantly giving of yourself 100%. And there's a need for that, that person who's in the classroom, that teacher in the classroom to receive at some point as well. So TOB campus in this way is a formation program now for teachers as a school community where they can come to receive the teachings of theology of the body, to learn it themselves, uh, to have more practical ways to bring it back into the classroom, whether they're teaching our curriculum or not, and being able to develop that school culture. So it, it develops a, a strength among the teachers. It's not just your religion teachers or your K through five teachers that are going through this, but it's your, your history teachers and your English teachers as well. And what it does is it provides a language. So when a student leaves that religion classroom or they, they are finished with their religion studies for the day, and they go into a history classroom, they can learn and hear that the language that's being used in the religion classroom, the dignity of their human person, is the same language that's being used when they're learning about World War II and the atrocities of that from their history teacher. Mm -hmm. And so what it does is it, it, re, um, it, it refocuses our teachers, it refocuses our students to see the world through that lens, to see the, the concept of gift of creation, the reality that we lived in as a gift. Absolutely. So... This is a curriculum that is selected by a school administration. Maybe there's some buy-in from some of the teachers. Um, 
how have you experienced or how have you managed when there may be a teacher that is present at the school who is resistive, resistant to the idea of including this in their curriculum? Yeah, a lot of the time, so there's different angles of what that comes from. Uh, some of the times it's a teacher that doesn't have a, a foundational understanding of what it is that we're asking of them to bring into their classroom, what it is for them to teach. Uh, sometimes it's teachers believing that what they're doing is the depth of love. So if there's a student or if there's a teacher that's opposed to some of the teachings of the church because they don't think that it's loving enough, um, there's some resistance there. Um, and sometimes we're, we're working with the teachers in our Catholic schools that aren't Catholic themselves and they don't have a, a, a deep understanding of the faith. Um, a lot of this is developed in a way that we support our teachers more directly through their administration. So we understand that the administrators in the school are the leaders of that school. And so we want to be able to support them and being able to approach this in a way that's more um, formidable for their teachers. They're going to understand their teachers way better than we will from the outside. Um, and so it really becomes more of a partnership with them um, and being able to bring these teachings in a way that's going to be more accessible to their teachers, depending on where their teachers are at on their faith, uh, on their faith journey. Uh, the TOB campus, uh, we have one of the major focus points of this is it's a nine session series. So it's, it's not something that they're dealing with day in and day out from us at Rural Woods, but it's something that they come to, whether it's once a month or however they want to structure it uh, for their school year to be able to learn these. So it's a gradual approach. Um, and it's really being able to point to those original experiences and say, look, whether you're Catholic, you're not, you can, we can come to an agreement that these experiences that God calls us back to in the beginning are experiences that we all have. Mm-hmm. John Paul II goes as far as to say every human experience, this is the strongest claim I think he makes, is colored by the original experience, the original experiences. And so uh, that's a very strong, that's a very strong claim, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that, that it, it's a claim that we need to take seriously uh, as we, as we look around at our own experiences or see the experiences of society to say, how, how am I being informed by these original experiences? How, how is my experience of today and the frustrations and the, uh, the, the joys and the sorrows and the everything else, uh, how, how is that affected by everything that came before it? Rather than just experiencing it as we have it today, to look back to those foundations. Absolutely. And that's why one of the first things we, we teach teachers is, the original experiences of solitude, unity, and nakedness. Solitude with the positive and negative dimension of that, meaning I'm in a completely unique and unrepeatable relationship with God. I find myself alone before God, but then I also found myself as a person in creation for which there is no adequate other other than another human person, which points to original unity that we're meant for one another. We're meant for communion and original nakedness, not so much that I'm in my birthday suit, uh, all that could be a legitimate interpretation, but more so that I, uh, in in the original state, we see each other with the interior gaze of purity. We see each other in the light of God. And so there's no risk of use and abuse. And that was John Paul II's uh, probably the biggest thing. His The thing he hated the most was utilitarianism, I would say, mm-hmm. in the uh, degradation and pulverization of the human person. Well, and as a parent myself, I, I think that we see this in human development, right? Uh, our children don't know that they're not supposed to be vulnerable until it bites them. 
Uh, yep. They don't know that they're supposed to be scared of the stairs until they fall down the stairs the first time. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and so there is this sense of not only original experience in terms of all of humanity, but each of us have to go through that process to learn, oh, I, I have to be less vulnerable. Uh, and, and so I think that we are created for and desire the ability to be that vulnerable, to know and to be known at that deep level. Uh, and, and everything that we have in our society today is set up in opposition to that, right? Absolutely. And uh, to that point, you, with, the, with, the vol- with the vulnerability aspect you brought up there, as part of the Institute, what we're going to be implementing over the next four years is kind of a fellow model where we have experts from different areas that are coming in to contribute to content in the studio. So Dr. Dr. Matt Bruniger from Francis, uh, Franciscan University has already come and worked with us and people like that who can come in and talk about like the psychology of the theology of the body, the psychological aspects that are unpacked. You know, one of the greatest theology of the body talks I've ever heard in my life was from, was from Dr. Matt uh, Bruniger, and it was because he brought together the theological, the philosophical, and the, the the psychological experiences that we all have in life, a vulnerability in these other aspects, and it's just extremely powerful. And so there has to be other other avenues. How is this applied in education, in medicine, in psychology, in family life? Um, I think that's an important thing to look at. Well, and this, the theology of the body underpins everything in Catholic social teaching, every, every last aspect from how we treat uh, immigrants to how we treat uh, our, our one another to uh, how we view sexuality. All of that, because we, as we were talking earlier, this is about hum, uh, Christian anthropology. All of that comes out of this view of the dignity of the human person and that relationship that we have to the divine. Absolutely. And uh, to this point, we have a little, I don't know if you call it anecdotal evidence, we had one of the largest schools in the country, which is in Cincinnati, K-8 school, implemented. They're really a gold standard for theology of the body. They have dedicated theology of the body teachers, and they teach it in every grade. But they found um, that when they implemented the curriculum, they think it, there was other possible uh, causes that helped this. But their discipline file, they took a picture. Uh, 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 Tim Riley, who's now the president of St. X, he was the principal at St. Ignatius. He took a picture of his discipline file, which he could hold across two arms, just massive. And then after uh, a certain amount of time of implementing theology of the body, you could hold it in one hand. And so he says he absolutely thinks it had an effect, but he also believes there was other initiatives, of course, that aided them as well. We live in a time where our youth in large part, and even in Catholic schools, uh, promote things that the church does not promote because they have a sense of compassion for the people who are near them, who they have seen uh, be ostracized or marginalized. And they want to find a way to support uh, their friends. And, and society's message is loud that this is the appropriate thing to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a Catholic parent, maybe even as a Catholic student who is in the midst of uh, gender confusion of uh, same-sex attractions or some other uh, experience on that spectrum. Uh, how how do they respond in a way that is compassionate and loving and honoring the dignity of the human person mm-hmm. while at the same time 
holding fast to what the church is teaching? How does a parent, maybe parent communicate that to their children? How does a child communicate that to their peers? Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to say a little something. I'll let Rob chime in here too. But I would say that my true and honest belief is that the blueprint for this sort of dialogue has been laid out in the Wednesday catechesis, in the theology of the body. And the reason I say that is because even with the Pharisees in uh, talking to Jesus and trying to trap him about the issue of divorce, they were talking about hot topics back then too. But what, let's, let's look at the uh, pedagogy of God here. Jesus doesn't get ensnared into these arguments of the day that we that will probably be fruitless. Instead, he says, listen, let's clear our vision. Let's go back to the beginning and see what the, what the human person is really supposed to be, and then let's talk. And so I think the um, a, path, a path forward is to take seriously experience in the experiences of others, which uh, the theology of the body certainly does, and John Paul II uh, himself certainly did. Um, even in his classes when he taught, uh, I think his students did more talking than he did, is what people say, because he was so interested in hearing what they had to say and dialoguing with them. And so first of all, let's not just shut our, our, our loved ones off who are struggling these things. Let them speak to us. Let them say what's really happening in their heart what their struggles are, what, what this is like. And then let's start from that place of walking them through who are you created to be. And I think the authority that comes with that, it can actually come through the appeal of experience. Because when you walk them through the theology of the body, they're seeing that these yearnings that they have in their, their heart are, are respected in the theology of the body. And so the dignity of the human person is given the utmost uh, pride of place here because it's not about... Um, uh, uh, just imposing something on someone. That was detestable to John Paul II, but that we're to lead them to it. It's an invitation. With Christ, it was an invitation. He himself didn't batter people over the head with it. And so um, I think, listen, that's a, that's a, a general statement. I know I didn't get into the nitty gritty, but I'm trying to point to there's a blueprint that's there and we should use it. Well, and I have, yeah, so this, this resonates a lot with me. I mean, I've had a lot of friends in, in, in the past before understanding really the teachings of the church and as, as love first, we have to, we come from a place of not understanding the true definition of what love is. Um, but I understand that I, I thought I've had friends with same sex attraction and gender dysphoria where I thought that I was loving them properly um, and supporting them and where they were at in their life and that I would just journey with them. Um, and then at some point they'd eventually see what God is calling them to. But we have to look at that one that that's not real love. Um, if you're bringing someone down a path that is a path of destruction. Um, and, and two, um, if we're going to approach this and, and bring them to understand the fullness of who they are made in the image and likeness of God, uh, and, and that they're unique and unrepeatable in who they are, um, is that we can't make this a, um, a conflict that we need to win or an argument that we need to win. Uh, and, and that is where our, one in, in the society that we live in, everything's an argument nowadays. And so it's always trying to be on the right side of that argument. Um, but that's not what this is. Uh, that's not what uh, theology of the body is. Um, but how do we do that? Like what are practical ways, you, you know, how do parents do this? Um, start early. Uh, there's a reason why we're at K through 12 uh, curriculum and their schools and their parents asking for pre-K materials. So it's, it's, you start early. Um, yep. And the human experience you know, is a journey. It's a story that's been told over and over again. And so we use story to do that. So if you, if you're a parent of, uh, of 
elementary school students, we use literature. And so you can start with those literature experiences or those literature books that we have. Um, and you can use the discussion questions that are involved to, to create dialogue with your, with your kids. Um, and then if you're a, if you're, you're a student yourself or your kid yourself and you're, 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 you know, having these conversations with your peers, it's the same thing. It's just conversation. Um, it's being adamant and, and being firm in your belief, you know, you know, have courage, be not afraid, live out your faith. Um, but it's, it's the concept of walking with them. Um, yeah. There's going to be a point where you have to turn them back. If you're on the road to Emmaus, right. You have to turn them back, but um, yeah, it's really where it, where it comes from. You're not winning a fight here. We've been talking today with the Rua Woods Institute. Michael Grzynski is the president and Rob Stamper is a curriculum and education specialist there. You can learn more about them by going to ruawoodsinstitute.org. That's R-U-A-H, woodsinstitute.org. If you missed any part of my conversation with Michael and Rob, or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Additionally, if this has been a, a really interesting episode for you, there is more to this episode. Each week we give an extra segment to those who help us stay on the air, supporting the show through Patreon. To learn more about our Patreon support community, go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link there in the top navigation bar. Uh, follow the link, find out what what's there. There's lots of extra content uh, some of that you can preview here and decide whether or not that's a community you want to be a part of. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, ecclesial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians, chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, for freedom Christ set us free. So stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called for freedom, brothers and sisters. But do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you go on biting and devouring one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. I say then, live by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you may not do what you want. But if you are guided by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That reading again comes from the letter of St. Paul to the people of Galatia, the book of Galatians. If I were to paraphrase the words of St. Paul here, it would be something along the lines of this. Brothers and sisters, you were called to the great yes, the great yes of union with God and unity with one another. This is, in short, the message of the theology of the body. We belong to one another. We are members of one another. And it's important for us to understand the dignity of the human person and what implications that has for us in how we view ourselves 
and how we view others. So live by the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God that's been given to us, by which we were adopted, by which we have been made part of this family of God, and not according to the flesh. Now, oftentimes we hear that. We hear Paul talking in numerous places, talking about the flesh, and we think of it strictly in the sense of, uh, of, of sexuality. And I don't think that that's what Paul is completely talking about. There's certainly an aspect of that that's in there. But each of us has a desire of the flesh that's just our personal inclination, our natural inclination, as opposed to that inclination which we have received through the Spirit, which is a supernatural inclination. So that would be the the first response, that first thing that we would want to say, whether that would be uh, judgment or sarcasm or, or uh, anything that we could look at under a microscope and say, you know what, that's not my best self. That's not really me being empowered by the Spirit of God. And so as we look at this, don't merely rele- relegate Paul's admonition to those who have difficulty in the area of sexuality. But all of us have desires according to the flesh. In fact, if you go to the book of Colossians, Colossians 3, we can see a whole list of things that he would include as being of the flesh. So we put off anger and and malice and envy, and we put on Christ as we live by the Spirit. And so what I would encourage you is that all of these things that we talk about, even as we get into questions of morality, we can approach all of those things with a worldview that is led by the Spirit or a worldview that is limited by our own human understandings, urges, and propensities. So let us respond to the urging of Paul, live by the Spirit, and then we certainly would not gratify the desire of our flesh. Our reading from church history comes from a homily by St. Gregory of Nyssa. In our human life, bodily health is a good thing, but this blessing consists not merely in knowing the causes of good health, but in actually enjoying it. If a man eulogizes good health and then eats food that has unhealthy effects, what good is his praise of health when he finds himself on a sickbed. Similarly, from the Lord saying, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. We are to learn that blessedness does not lie in knowing something about God, but rather in possessing God within oneself. I do not think these words mean that God will be seen face to face by the man who purifies the eye of his soul. Their sublime import is brought out more clearly, perhaps, than in any other saying of the Lord's. The kingdom of God is within you. This teaches us that the man who cleanses his heart of every created thing and every evil desire will see the image of the divine nature in the beauty of his own soul. I believe the lesson summed up by the word in that short sentence was this. You men have within you a desire to behold the supreme good. Now, when you are told that the majesty of God is exalted above the heavens, that his glory is inexpressible, his beauty indescribable, and his nature transcendent, do not despair because you cannot behold the object of your desire. 
if by a diligent life of virtue you wash away the film of dirt that covers your heart, then the divine beauty will shine forth in you. Take a piece of iron as an illustration. Although it might have been black before, once the rust has been scraped off with a whetstone, it will begin to shine brilliantly and to reflect the rays of the sun. So it is with the interior man, which is what the Lord means by the heart. Once a man removes from his soul the coating of filth that has formed on it through his sinful neglect, he will regain his likeness to his archetype and be good. For what resembles the supreme good is itself good. If he then looks into himself, he will see the vision he has longed for. This is the blessedness of the pure of heart. In seeing their own purity, they see the divine archetype mirrored in themselves. Those who look at the sun in a mirror, even if they do not look directly at the sky, they see its radiance and the reflection just as truly as do those who look directly at the sun's orbs. It is the same, says the Lord, with you. Even though you are unable to contemplate and see the inaccessible light, you will find what you seek within yourself, provided you return to the beauty and grace of that image which was originally placed in you. For God is purity. He is free from sin and a stranger to all evil. If this can be said of you, then God surely will be within you. If your mind is untainted by any evil, free from sin, and purified from all stain, then indeed you are blessed, because your sight is keen and clear. Once purified, you will see things others cannot see. When the mists of sin no longer cloud the eye of your soul, you will see that blessed vision clearly in the peace and purity of your own heart. That vision is nothing else than the holiness, the purity, the simplicity, and all the other glorious reflection of God's nature through which God himself is seen. That reading comes from a homily by St. Gregory of Nyssa. This reading gives us the opportunity to ask ourselves the question, do we merely say that we believe or have we allowed those things to become a worldview that impact the way that we live? In small part, this can be seen by whether or not we are reflecting the love of God. Are we reflecting the glory and the radiance of God? Are we finding purity of heart truly in our heart? Or are we merely saying the words that coincide with what we think that should be? in such a way that not only do we see the life of God within us, but that we also reflect that love of God to others, that they would see what it means to respond to the great yes of union with God. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and consider joining their number. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace.